<clears throat> this is a Romy cast. Never get tired of being Beatles. Uh, when I play the drums, then I play our guitar, and I too play a guitar. Oh, is he dead? Sit you down, Father. Rescue. Take 12. Hey, what? Oh, there we go. Can we just have a little less guitar in the earphones? Oh, that's all right. Yes, not bad that one. Keep that one. Mark it fab. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Walrus Was Paul, a series of podcasts hosted by me, Paul Romanuk. Join me and let's take a stroll along the cast iron shore and peel off the layers of the glass onion with another great musical guest as we discuss their favorite Beatles or Beatles solo album. My guest on this episode is singer and songwriter James Clark, frontman of his band, the James Clark Institute. We are going to tuck into the Beatles' 1969 release, the lowest-selling record in their core catalog of albums, the soundtrack to the 1968 feature cartoon film Yellow Submarine. The website for this podcast is romicast.com. That is R-O-M-Y-C-A-S-T dot com. If you head there, you can find each and every episode that we have done so far in this series. Uh, This is the 16th episode of Series 3. You can find all of the other episodes from Series 1, Series 2, and the others from this series right there at the website. Or you can find them wherever it is that you get your podcasts. James Clark is a really good lyricist. Uh, And that is evidenced if you listen to many of the songs in his catalog. I'll just just give you three off the top of my head. There's a song on his 2018 album, Sideshow Attraction, and it recounts the death of the great Otis Redding. The song is called Lake Monona Last Night. Very clever. From his 2016 album, Yesterday's Misadventures, uh, another great song called The Devil's Punch Bowl. Uh, The lyrics are really good, and the tune is a real homage to the psychedelic era of the Beatles. So look for that one. And one more. Here's another one. Uh, A song from 2021's The Color of Happy called Next Best Thing. Uh, That song juxtaposes a a sunny, happy tune with some uh, slightly darker themes in the lyrics. So three right off the top of my head. He's a fine lyricist and he's got a fine new album coming out in the autumn of 2023 called under the lampshade and it is produced by friend of this podcast and canadian rock superstar mo berg of the pursuit of happiness you can find out what james and his band are up to at the band website clarkinstitute.com that is clark with no e c-l-a-r-k institute There are links there at the site to his videos on YouTube as well as his music on Bandcamp and all streaming platforms. You can also find James on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. James, it is great to see you. Welcome back and thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me about the Beatles. 
Oh, anytime, Paul. It's, it's a pleasure to be back. Yeah, it was. It's uh, well, you're at, not only are you back, you're actually in person because right. uh, yeah, the old one was COVID times. It was, yeah. So nice to actually see you in person. Yeah, yeah. No, it's very good. Um, so new album coming out. I, I do want to touch on that right out of the uh, right out of the gate. Under the lampshade, which as this is being recorded, we're still a few months from the album being released. Mm-hmm. Uh, Open question. Tell me about the album. Well, uh, I'm really, really happy with it. I'll say that off the top. Uh, again, uh, produced by uh, Mo Berg, who produced um, the last couple of records of mine. So it was great to work with him again. Um, <clears throat> I think, uh, and this is actually the first time uh, where the, the band, my current band, is playing all over the record. Um, in, in past times, it was a combination of the band and, and, and Mo would would play some stuff and uh, you know some other studio guys would come in and play some stuff but this is the first time where the, the full band is really playing the majority of, of, of the music and it, it just everybody stepped up up to the bat it was just great everybody the, the performances are amazing I think and uh, I'm really happy with uh, with the production on this As, you know Mo always comes comes through and, and delivers and uh, yeah uh, I like it, and I'm sure you'll like it too. Now, most of us only know Mo, uh, you know, fair enough, as the guy who was in the pursuit of happiness mm-hmm. uh, as a performer. Uh, what's he like as a producer? Well, uh, for me, he, he's he's the best. Um, he really because he really gets where I'm coming from musically, and um, and so I think. Um, he can appreciate that, and and he can hear things that uh, that you know I wouldn't even think about doing. But um, he has suggestions that that really I think help help the songs. Um, and he's 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 got the ears. He, he has the ears. It's unbelievable. And uh, it's and at times it's 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 stressful because you know we'll I'll go in there I'll be doing vocal takes and you know um, I'll spend. I spent one day on this on this on this record doing doing vocals, probably eight hours, just one day doing vocals, and by the end of it, it was like, wow, I don't know if I ever want to sing again, <laughs> um, because he, he just you know he, he he wants you to deliver to deliver your best, and and in the end, you know that's what he gets, but. Uh, yeah, he, re- he really doesn't let you get away with anything. It, is it a little bit, and because this is a Beatles podcast, it's natural that I would bring in a George Martin analogy, but of course, famously, he had the ability where John Lennon would go to him, and here's the classic example, and say, I want it to sound like a million monks standing on top of the <laughs> Himalayas singing mm-hmm. for Tomorrow Never Knows. And uh, yes, old boy, okay, we'll go, you know, and he'd, and he'd try to replicate that with the technology of the time. Is is it like that? Was a little bit of that. Mo, I I want it to sound like this. Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of that for sure. He's and that's nothing. He's totally open to uh, to whatever I have. I have that, that I want to hear. That I want to suggest. You know, he's totally open to that for sure. All right. Well, we'll yeah. talk about it more as the show goes on. Uh, Under the lampshade, uh, out in the fall of 2020.
2023 as this is being recorded. We'll also talk about your great album that you did back in 2021, uh, The Color of Happy. Still lots to talk about there. And dear listener, if you're going to dig through the uh, James Clark Institute back catalog, uh, start with that one. It's a great, great record. Uh, I said so at the time. You'll enjoy listening to it and it'll get you all set for the new one under the lampshade. But to to sort of shuffle the papers here and focus on to the Beatles, um, if there are ever awards given out for the Walrus Was Paul podcast, and I'm not sure there ever will be, just not to get your uh, your excitement level up, uh, but you would win some type of an award for two of the mu- most unique choices. The last time you were on, you did Ringo's solo album, Ringo, which... Mm-hmm. Nobody picked. It was a great pick. Well, thanks. And we it's had a, a great album. It's well, a great it's a great album. album. And we had a lot of fun talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you yeah. know, we're, we're, we're about of the same vintage and both had so, sort of those similar memories of Definitely. getting it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> so for this one, this one really put me aback. We, we, we were going back and forth as I usually do with guests. And, you know, so, all right, what do you want to do? And I don't mind doing some records over again and so on. And uh, you came in with, what about Yellow Submarine? What made you choose this one? Well, you know, <clears throat> going through your all of your, your past archive shows and looking at what had been uh, talked about in the past and it's like, wow, like, okay, I like to do this album. Oh, it's been done. Oh, no, that was done too. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, and then it just dawned on me, wait a minute, no one's ever done Yellow Submarine and I love Yellow Submarine. Um, it, it, uh, again, it's um, an album that um, I'm very fond of. I have a lot of childhood memories uh, listening to this album for the first time, uh, even actually purchasing the record. <laughs> Pretty, pretty fond memories of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I love it. And, and you know, side one, I mean, I think it's a neglected Beatles record because, you know, side two is not the Beatles, it's George Martin. Yep. His, his, his uh, score for the album, for the, for the movie. Uh, but those, that side one is killer. Just, uh, um, we'll go through the songs, I, I yeah, guess, yeah. one by one, but it's just amazing. Uh, so what are your earliest memories of the record? Of Do you remember going to buy it? Do you remember seeing it in the shop? Did somebody give it to you? I bought it uh, secondhand. Um, I had an older brother who was heavily into the Beatles, and music in general, and he turned me on to a lot of, a lot of music. But he, he came home from school one day and he said, hey, my friend Dan has a uh, copy of the Yellow Submarine and he wants to sell it. And I think you should buy it. And I said, well, why don't you buy it? I don't have any money. So, um, and he was like, he was selling it for something like $5, probably less than $5. I said, oh, okay, here, $5. And the next day he came home with a copy of Yellow Submarine and, and uh, <clears throat> played it. And, and my mind was blown. You know, I was 10 years old when I bought this record. And, yeah. You know, I knew Yellow Submarine and I, I knew uh, All You Need Is Love, but, but these other, or the, the other four tracks are sort of, you know, in the, the psychedelic period from... I think they recorded some of the stuff in 67 around Sgt. Pepper, but uh, I, I, I just immediately was drawn to it. I just loved it. Yeah, there's some weird stuff on there. And the, the other thing, too, that I was thinking of, and I just sort of connected the dots uh, when you were on your way over today, um, because something a lot of people might not know about you is that you're also a cartoonist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you think... <clears throat> that maybe the, the, I mean, we have the cover of the album mm-hmm. sitting here in front of us. Did that maybe fire the the early cartoon synapses in your young brain, do you think at all? Um, well, I, for sure, yeah. I mean, I was drawn to um, to the to the artwork for sure, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah, as you said, I was a, I'm a cartoonist and I, 
my childhood was full of cartoons and watching cartoon shows. And, um, so, and, and I loved the sort of the, the, the bright uh, pop art um, color of the, of the whole, the whole image is amazing. You know, I, w- I was immediately drawn to uh, Ringo, I think just the way he's dressed. I love the stripes, I love the bright colors. You have a stage suit that is very similar to that, if I'm not wrong. Oh, oh, you're probably thinking of, yeah, I do have one. It's, it's actually based on a Jimi Hendrix okay. uh, suit. <laughs> okay. But yes, very, very bright and very stripey. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I thought I'd seen that. Uh-huh. Uh, and yeah, just remarkable animation at the time. And we'll talk more about that as, uh, as this show goes on. Uh, but, it, you know, it is a, just a, a remarkable cover. And I can remember looking at it myself as a kid going, wow, and all yeah. the psychedelic and the bright. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, and Terry Gilliam, the uh, great animation artist for Monty Python's Flying Circus. Uh, for those of you who are younger, look it up. But he did, uh, you know, at the time, fairly pioneering animation mm-hmm. on this this show that ran on the BBC. He says it was very much inspired by the animation. I, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, sure. from Yellow Submarine. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's just give you a little bit of context as to what was going on in the Beatles world before we dive into this record. So the Beatles come into 1968 still very much riding the crest of the psychedelic wave of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, their global number one album that had been released in June of 1967. Uh, It was still a top three album on the British charts. In fact, it hit number one on the album charts again in February of 1968. Uh, As the calendar turned in 1968, Sgt. Pepper's was number two on the album chart. Hello Goodbye was the number one single, and the Magical Mystery Tour EP was number two on the singles chart. Uh, The Magical Mystery Tour TV film had run on the BBC on Boxing Day. And although it was slated by the critics, uh, the music was loved and it was also watched by an estimated 20 million people and was the most watched TV program over the Christmas period on British TV. So the Yellow Submarine film project out of which this album comes had begun in 1967, a time when the Beatles had little enthusiasm for making a full-length film. Uh, They'd recently completed Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and they were more focused on the TV special Magical Mystery Tour and the soundtrack for that film. However, they were under contract by United Artists to make another film uh, following A Hard Day's Night and Help. Uh, And by way of a compromise, it was decided there would be an animation featuring the voices of actors and the music of the Beatles. That's what they would do. The Beatles additionally agreed to film a short sequence for the film's end. That's their on-camera appearance thing. If you've seen the cartoon, which you probably have if you're listening to this podcast that was shot at Twickenham Film Studios in uh, early 1968 January 25th 1968 Uh, so just back to the concept for the film Uh, there was an outline of the film from November of 1966 which was prepared by director Lee Minoff uh, with direct cooperation from Paul McCartney and it stated that and I'm quoting here The goal should be nothing less than to take animation beyond anything seen before in style, class, and tone, but avoiding the precious and pretentious. 
a lofty goal indeed and one which uh, many would say that they accomplished so mm-hmm, but definitely. that was the goal going into it but again because they they kind of moved on through 1967 from the original idea of the animated film and it became at the time history tells us when you read about it it was a bit of a an irritant uh, slash pain in the ass to them because fair to say uh, they were busy with other things and it was reflected in their lack of direct involvement in the film and also in preparing the soundtrack album. Uh, I mean, you had All You Need Is Love in July of 1967. Okay, so the All Together Now was from 1967. Hey Bulldog was from 1968, and both were at the time considered one-session throwaways. Uh, only a Northern song was a Sgt. Pepper's Reject, and It's All Too Much was, again, considered not important at the time. And then side two was a re-recording of George Martin's instrumental score for the film. Uh, It was the freshest material on the record. Uh, Interesting, when you go back in a correspondence with one of the film's producers, a guy named Al Bordax, George Martin had this to say about the uh, made-for-the-movie soundtrack. Here's what Martin said. Uh, Bespoke, indeed, not exactly a good fit. The dregs of their inventory. Pieces they would, any in any case, jettison. Junk, file, and forget pieces. I don't fancy you will use the new songs as highlights embracing story points, but rather as filler at best. <laughs> so, so George Martin... Pretty harsh in his assessment of of the music that the Beatles were providing uh, the film's makers. The stereo and mono albums were cut by uh, Harry Moss at Abbey Road on the 22nd and 25th of November 1968. Respectively, the mono mix wasn't a true mono mix. It was a full down of the stereo mix. So for those of you not technical, you take the stereo, you process it into one single channel There's your mono mix. Uh, The film premiered in London at the London Pavilion Cinema on July 17, 1968, and all of the band were there. As a side note, a bit of trivia, and maybe not so trivial, uh, it was one of the first occasions on which John and Yoko were seen as a couple by the public. The film premiered in the U.S., New York City, in November of 1968, so quite a while afterwards. Kind of strange the way that was done. July in the U.K., not until November in the United States. And then weirdly, the album came out in the U.K. on the 17th of January, 1969, uh, a few days earlier in the U.S., but... Like who would do that now? Six months after the movie yeah, premieres in London, it comes out weird, eh? Yes. Um, I guess in, in Beatleland there was you just you never knew. Uh, the album was never intended as a high-profile Beatles release. Indeed, it was issued when the White Album was still number one. But despite that, the album still managed a number three position in the UK and climbed one place higher in the US. It was actually a number one record here in Canada for two weeks, so we liked it here. It knocked the White Album from a 12-week run at number one. Uh, It was the second Beatles album on their own Apple label, the White Album, of course, being the first. As per Chartmasters.org, although the lowest selling of all of the original Beatles core catalog it still sold 4.2 million physical copies upon release in 1969. How do you like to have like your worst selling album? <laughs> yeah, 4. I was just thinking that. Yeah. I, I'd take that. I'd, <laughs> yeah, most would. Um, uh, the Just going on a couple of more chart notes. Uh, now streaming, and this is as per chartmasters.org. 
Uh, the album has been streamed another 23 million times. The most streamed tracks uh, are the title track and All You Need Is Love, but they are streamed through other albums that they're on. So the original tracks on this record, what would you guess is the most streamed one of the original tracks on here? I would probably go with Hey Bulldog. You are absolutely right. Uh, five million streams and counting. Uh, interestingly, the release of the album, uh, after it came out, the Beatles received criticism for its poor value for money. You know, when you think about this, right? You, you, Sergeant Peppers with the gatefold and the little cardboard inside and the, the acid wash inner bag, the lyrics on the back, okay, beautiful package. Yeah. White album with the, uh, the, the four 8 by 10 glossies, the poster. Again, a gatefold double album. Bang for your bucks. Yeah, they, yeah. they and they were and you know later on, let it be with the book. Yeah, you know they, uh, yeah. they you know, uh, Beatles for sale was a gatefold, which was unusual at the time. So, mm -hmm. so even, yeah, uh, this, even Magical Mystery Tour in the in the U.S. Yes. Had, had that uh, inner booklet. Yeah, so it, so and they, they were apparently quite stung by the by the criticism, according to uh, what I read. So then they revived the idea of issuing an EP of the original song. Songs, plus a new track at the time across the universe. Uh, so the EP was all put together. There was a master compiled, and it also contained true mono mixes of the songs, but the release, for some reason, was abandoned, and the mixes never showed up until 2009 on the mono masters box set that the Beatles put out. So there you go. Let's... Uh, Let's take this sucker uh, out of the uh, the jacket and put it on the virtual turntable, and it is side one, cut one, Yellow Submarine. In the town where I was born Lived a man who sailed to sea And he told us of his life In the land of submarines So we sailed up to the sun Submarine is, uh, to me, is, is a strange Beatles song. I mean, I think up to maybe five years ago, if this song had come on the radio, I would probably turn the station. Gone. Um, if, uh, you know, if, was, if I'm listening to a uh, Beatles CD in the car while driving, I would probably skip the song. But just recently, I've really, I think, come to appreciate it a lot more. Um... I'm listening to it now from more of a production standpoint than than ever. And in fact, it's almost like I've rediscovered hearing it for the first time as a kid. And I'm really, really enjoying it, especially um, hearing John Lennon's songwriting demo, which has been released on the Revolver uh, anniversary last year. Um, you, you you hear where this where the song started and where it ended up. In the place where I was born No one cared, no one cared And the name where I was born No one cared, no one cared And the town where I was born No one cared, no one cared If you're right, you come wrong sounded 
sounded like it was one of maybe John's darker moments, you know. And to hear it actually turn into something absolutely the opposite, uh, it's it's spectacular. I think I think maybe he, I, I think I'd read this that he had started the song and then gave it to Paul to more or less finish it off. And I can hear that. I can hear more, definitely more Paul than John in this song. That's, you know what, you're the first person I've talked to about that, but you're so right that the, the demo that you're talking about was on the Revolver box set. Mm-hmm. And it, I remember the first time I heard it, it almost sounds like, a, like it's a sad song yeah. about be, not being wanted or loved or mm-hmm. as a boy. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. It's almost like something from the Plastic Ono Band album or something. Yeah, um, but, and, it, and it turns into this sort of kid's exactly, happy day. Yeah. What I do love about Yellow Submarine is is the fact that I think a lot of kids, this might be like the first Beatles song that kids hear uh, for the first time and they're they're drawn to it and uh in my in my life I've I've come across three or four kids discovering it, discovering the Beatles for, for the first time and it's Yellow Submarine and they're running around the house singing the chorus of Yellow Submarine. And I think hey, if this is if this gets kids into the Beatles um, then that's the amazing thing. Like if, if they can go from from Yellow Submarine and, and maybe they get a little older and think, well, I remember the Beatles. They did the song Yellow Submarine. I wonder what else they do, you know. And for them to to discover, there's so much more magic there than you know than that one song. That, that's that's a great thing. Uh, it, it, yeah, gateway for a lot of little kids into the Beatles. And mm-hmm. your point about uh, the production on it, uh, George Martin, who produced it, of course, uh, he drew heavily on his experience as a producer of comedy records for uh, a group called Beyond the Fringe and The Goon Show, which is what what he did a lot of before he sort of got busier with the Beatles. And he provided that array of zany sound effects to create uh, the the nautical atmosphere. So uh, on the second session, the studio store cupboard was ransacked for special effects. So they they, uh, picked up chains, a ship's bell, tap dancing mats, whistles, hooters, waves, a tin bath filled with water, wind and thunderstorm machines, as well as a cash register, which was uh, a, a a uh, little uh, trivia here. The same cash register later used on Money by Pink Floyd. Oh. So out of, oh, okay. <laughs> out of, it's an actual cash register right, that right. The, the Abbey Road was this kind of place. It was, uh, oh, yes, boys, down to the old cupboard, <laughs> second shelf, the cash register. Um, Lennon blew through a straw into a pan of water to create a bubbling effect. McCartney and Lennon uh, talked through uh, tin cans to create the sound of the captain's orders. Uh, and then you have Ringo was outside of the doors of the recording room and he yelled like a sailor acknowledging, you know, cut the cable, drop the cable. You hear that, which uh, was looped in afterwards. Uh, and then a couple of employees, uh, guys named John Skinner and Terry Condon, twirled chains in a tin bath to create the water sounds after the line, uh, the line, da, 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 the, and the band begins to play. Right, right. So they do that. Uh, and then what else do we have? Uh, Mal Evans strapped on a marching bass drum and led everybody in a line around the studio doing the conga while banging the drum. Yellow submarine, yellow submarine, yellow submarine, we all live in the yellow submarine. 
what a great what a great song to be involved in in uh, creating and producing. It's just so much fun. Written specifically for Ringo. Um, and and, uh, yeah I couldn't find anything about the uh, I would be fascinated to know whether you know Lennon initially started it and thought I'm going to do a um, you know I'm going to do a a me song I'm going to do something Mm -hmm. like you know you've you've got to hide your love away or I'm a loser or something like that Mm -hmm. and then just abandon it and said oh here take this like I I wonder yeah I know Uh you know, I'm I'm amazed when 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 I heard the songwriting demo. I thought, wow, really? Is this the same song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was that was probably maybe one of the most uh, the biggest reveals for me of that revolver oh, box me too. set. Yeah, me too. Because uh, you never would have like what a juxtaposition yeah. of mm-hmm. how. Have you ever had one like that? It starts like this and ends up like that. I've had that happen a few times. Yeah, um, you think it's. You've written something, and then and then um, you take it to the band, and they they put their input in, and it turns out to be something completely different, and 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 probably better than than it originally was. Yeah, definitely, it's happened a few times. It's, so, would that be more in the feel of the song or the meaning of the song? Probably um, the feel of the song, and I know uh, in the past that that's uh, once it gets to that point. I will probably do something with the lyrics and change them up a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk about your lyrics a little bit because I've, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask. Just, just um, now, here's an interesting McCartney in the lyrics, which is that great compilation of that he came out what I want to say a year and a half ago, and he goes through most of his songs and he mm-hmm. gives the you know the story behind them or the context behind them so of yellow submarine he says a large part of the subtext of yellow submarine was that even then the beatles were living in our own capsule our own microclimate our own controlled environment Another factor that can't be overstated, this is McCartney talking, was the incredible popularity of television programs at the time that featured the underwater world. The series Sea Hunt with Lloyd Bridges was on the air at that time. Flipper, the television show about a dolphin, ran between 1964 and 1967. Mm -hmm. So that is McCartney's recollection of it. There was also, there was a UK television show, it ran on ITV, I don't know if you remember this, we did see it here it was called thunderbirds oh yeah amazing yeah. love thunderbirds big fan so that ran originally september of 65 to december of 1968 and it was uh, for those of you who haven't seen it it's on youtube but it was essentially small marionette puppets but one of the vehicles in the show was thunderbird 4 which was a yellow submarine I'd forgotten that. I had forgotten that. So yeah. I, I would bet. Yeah. He would have seen this, and that must have been some For kind sure. of an inspiration. For sure. Yeah. Huh. Uh, so I want to talk about your lyrics a little bit before we get on to the next track. You're you're a self-admitted. You know, I've I've heard you in interviews, and I think the last time we talked, you're a lyrics guy. Oh yeah. Right. Yes. You take your lyrics seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I find it interesting that we're talking about a record that may well contain some of the most throwaway lyrics <laughs> ever by the Beatles. Or, you know, you're a lyricist, so you can speak to this. Am I judging too harshly? Like, is there no such thing as a throwaway lyric? I mean, somebody has created it. You know, you, John Lennon, Paul McCartney. So so there is no throwaway lyric. Discuss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, 
Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I think it all comes down to to the song as well, to melody and what's happening in the song. But you take a song like uh, Hey Bulldog, you know, where, where John Lennon just considered it a throwaway song. But uh, I I love the lyrics in that too. They're, they're it's nonsense, um, but they're fun and that they suit the song perfectly. So uh, I think it all comes it all comes down to the song, really. Mm-hmm. What, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And how long will you spend? Uh, and again, I know artists always have a hard time, you know, nailing it down. But like, uh, how long will you spend working on the lyrics for a song? I mean, I imagine it varies greatly. It but does. in general, is it a few days, a few hours, a, a, few, years, s- a few, few years, a few years? And yeah, yeah, there have been times. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a song um, on on the new album that's coming out in the fall, and um, I. Th- I think I started writing that song when I was in my early 20s and I thought I had a hit and I realized, no, no, this is garbage. And I put, I, I put it away and, and every, with every five years or so, I might revisit it and say, oh yeah, I wonder if I should revisit this and take another crack at it. And I would, nope, nope, it's not happening, it's not happening. And uh, it was just um, a year and a half ago, I rediscovered it again. Oh yeah, that song, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and... Um, started working on it again and I think I nailed it this time I think okay this is it this is the way it should have sounded when I was 25 yeah and and I think we may even release it as a single from the album because I think it turned out really really well so when you hear of you know Gordon Lightfoot passed away fairly recently around you know while we're recording this, um, the thing about Lightfoot was uh, you know one of the things that he was known for is he you know he was he was a guy who treated it like a job, mm-hmm. and so the CBC could go to him as they did and say it's 1967. We want a song that's going to run on this show and it's going to talk about Canada's history. Go and he went and he he sat down and he wrote uh, the Canadian Railroad Trilogy, mm-hmm. right? He sat down, you know, his, his, uh, from what I've read and understand, his technique was, he would go into his music room with a bottle of whatever he was drinking, scotch, bourbon, whatever it was, pack of cigarettes, uh, the, uh, the sheets in front of them that you can write musical notes on, and he'd sit down and he, okay, today I'm gonna write a song, mm-hmm. putting in my, so he does it that way. And then I remember, but I remember a story you told me last time, so about a great song called uh, The Devil's Punch Bowl. Mm-hmm. And you were noodling it around, and as a, correct me if I get the story wrong. I'm going from memory here, but mm-hmm. you were driving out, you know, sort oh, of yeah. uh, west Hamilton. of, Near yeah, and, and and there was a sign up that said, you know, Devil's Punch, Punch Bowl, and you sort of went, oh, and <laughs> yeah, clink, you know, ding, cling, uh, the bells went off in my head, and and uh, and I was able to finish the tune just from seeing that sign. It, the rest of it just came very, very quickly for me. Yeah. So, so I guess my rambling question is, if, if you had to if, if you had to go into, are, are you a guy who can, like if I said, I got a TV special coming up, I want you to write me a song about the summer of 1972. And mm-hmm. you could go in and sit down. Or are you a guy who just, who's going along through life and, and you, you look at something or you hear a snippet of conversation and you go, ah, that's a song. I'm, I'm more of the second guy. Okay. Definitely, yeah. Um, there was a song that we released last summer, Marcella Never Got the News, and I was approached about writing a song about this particular incident, a uh, particular um, plane 
uh, crash that happened in 1959 in, in Saskatchewan, and I was approached about writing a song about it, and uh, and uh, I I was uh, thrilled to do it. Um, at the time, I was really involved in uh, the color of happy because this all happened sort of pre-pandemic, and I was writing the color happy and sort of focused on that. And, and this happened. I thought, oh, I don't know if I can actually. I have the time to do this, but I reached out to a friend of mine and, and we, we uh, co-wrote the song together. May we come with you, she said. May we come with you, my love, he said. No, you cannot go. It's for the best. You'll need rest before the child is due. Miss you so, she said. I will miss you so, my love. Please turn around, please come back down. Please return from where you're bound. Marcella never got the news. Marcella never got the news. Waiting on an answer that could never come to. Without, without uh, my friend's help, I don't know if, if, if I could have done that because I'm not really that kind of a writer. I'm just sort of a guy that, you know, oh, hey, uh, what did he just say? Oh, that's a good line. I'm going to use that. So, yeah, something, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just a guy that writes from feeling and, and more personal experience, I guess. Devil's Punch Bowl, though, is yeah. a great, hey, that would be a good. But, uh, yeah, just uh, we'll talk about it more later, but Marcella never got the news. It came out in the summer of 2022. Yes. Uh, and just so you know, dear listener, it's a song based on the story of a fatal plane crash from August of 1959. They found the wreckage in 2018. The wife of the pilot that was killed in the crash, a, a gentleman named Ray Gran, she passed away herself the night that they found the plane. So Marcella never got the news. If that doesn't send a chill up your spine... Um, yeah, it's such a tragic story in many ways. Yeah, there's so many little little stories intertwined in the in the main story. Yeah, it's crazy. What a song, too. Yeah, and and there's a book. There's a, we were we were asked to or we were asked to record the song for this uh, the book that had been written on the subject, um, and uh, it's 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 sort of a self published book. Um, Into the Mist, it's called by Victoria Hetherington. Um, I think it's available online, but uh, it's a great story. I would recommend people go out and check it out. Let's get back to Yellow Submarine and we go to side one, cut to only a northern song. If you're listening to this song, you may think the chords are going wrong. But they're not. I love this track. I love it. Uh, I love the tongue-in-cheek of the lyrics. Just, um, I th- from what I understand, it's George just singing about um, his his uh, contributions to the Beatles, pretty much. And um, no matter what he writes, he's 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 just it's just another Northern song. <laughs> Um, 
pertaining to the their uh, song publishing company or yeah. songs. Yeah, he uh, he wrote it out of dissatisfaction with his status as a junior songwriter <laughs> with the Beatles publishing company Northern Songs. Uh, the lyrics and music convey his disenchantment at how the company retained the copyright for the songs it published and at how, following the public listing of this company in 1965, the major shareholders profited more from his compositions than he did. So he was sour. Yeah, I don't blame him. The, John and Paul were making more money from his songs than he was making from these songs. So, so what is it you love about this song? Uh, as I said, I love the lyrics. I love um, I love the psychedelic period of the Beatles, and this is definitely just drenched in psychedelia. Um, I think it's just I, I just love the production of it, the sound of the instruments. Uh, there's a lot of Hammond organ in this tune, which uh, I think uh, I read where George was writing a lot on the Hammond organ at this period. It was more or less his main songwriting tool at this point, and and I. I just think it's amazing. Yeah, he went through a stage where he was uh, he was writing on keyboards and not playing his guitar much. Uh, another song from this era was Blue Jay Way. Blue, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Blue Jay Way. Mm-hmm. Uh, author Brian Southall says that Only a Northern Song is Harrison's personal denunciation of the Beatles' music publishing business. Uh, when discussing the song... Late in the 1990s, a couple of uh, interviews that he did, uh, this is Harrison. Harrison said the main target of his complaints were uh, Dick James, who was the managing director of Northern Songs. Uh, Having been signed by James in 1963 at the age of 20, Harrison said that the publisher had failed to explain that by signing the contract, he was also signing away the ownership of his compositions. Uh, And then he also said uh, the song was uh, a joke relating to Liverpool, the holy city in the north of England. In addition, the song was copyrighted by Northern Songs Limited, which I don't own, so it doesn't really matter what chords I play. It's only (laughs) a Northern song. (laughs) Uh, Recorded mainly in February of 67 during the sessions for Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, but the Beatles chose not to include it on that album. Where would it fit on there, do you think? I was thinking about this last night when I was sort of researching for our little talk here today. And, uh, and I was thinking, you know, if Pepper would have been, a, I think, a much different album just with this song on it. Because I, I think Within You, Without You, the Harrison song that was, that was on Pepper, is a, such a huge part of that album. Like, it's, it's, it belongs in that record. I don't think only Northern Song would... would would fit in there very much, very well, you know. Um, I th- and I think uh, I'd read where uh, George Martin, when the, when they decided to pass on only Northern Song, and he and then he came up with within the, within you without you, it was like a big sigh of relief for everybody that oh you know, okay. I don't have to use that, that mediocre song now. We can use this. Yeah. Uh, in his uh, books about Martin, uh, he made no uh, he made no bones about it. He didn't like the song mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and didn't think that it belonged in the album. And, and uh, I agree. I, I agree totally. I guess uh, everybody else agreed with him. Um, when, you, when you think about all the other tracks that are on that album, um, it really pales. 
for sure. Well, th- there's a the rabbit person. hole to go down, right? So, yeah. so you would uh, would only a northern song have fit on the album, and then uh, certainly uh, if you if you throw Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields. Fields forever on there, I mean, yeah. what do you what do you drop, and how much does that change the album? Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. That's that's a whole other. Uh, episode for you oh yeah. maybe maybe i mean i personally i could if i had to drop so, so okay, let's play this game if i had to drop mm-hmm. two so you, you you're you're gonna put in penny lane and sergeant and um strawberry, strawberry fields forever mm-hmm. right never mind where they're gonna fit you know sequencing we won't get into that but mm-hmm. uh so which two are you dropping uh when i'm 64 to me gonzo yeah i would probably agree with that yeah maybe Maybe good morning. Good morning. Oh, okay. Maybe. I mean, I love that track, but I'm just thinking about what you know. Everything else that's on the album. Um, Not within you, without you. No, I will leave that. You leave that I, on. I it. just love that track. Okay. You're, are you a Harrison guy? I really am. Yeah. 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 Even you know, as a ten year old kid hearing these songs for the first time, I was so drawn to his Indian sitar music i just i i don't know what it was i mean i'm 10 years old you know i'm not spiritual at 10 years old i guess but uh, there's something about it that just hit me hit me hard yeah i, I mean i would i'll admit i was uh, at that age i was a bit of a I, looking back i guess i was a bit of a musical cretin because i uh, i would on on my beatles albums uh within you without you was one i would skip over mm-hmm. uh and i would also uh skip over um uh Love to you, uh, on oh, yeah? uh, on yeah, yeah. Revolver. Oh, I, I yeah. love 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 to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Or no, love, love you too. Love you love too. too. Thank you. See, yeah. I didn't even know the title of the song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go to the next cut. We go from only a northern song, and it is. Uh, it, it's a song that went back to sessions for the Magical Mystery Tour altogether now. another uh, childlike song um, as a kid hearing it I thought it was so funny and I loved I loved the line about um, what is it? Uh, green yellow blue red can I take my friend to bed uh, you know as a 10 year old kid I thought that you know, <laughs> giggle, giggle 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 but uh, I, I love it it's great it's just a fun little track uh, McCartney says, uh, it's really a children's song. Uh, I had a few young relatives and I would sing songs for them. I used to do a song for kids called Jumping Around the Room, very similar to All Together Now. And then it would be Lying on Your Backs, all the kids would have to lie down. Then it would be Skipping Around the Room, Jumping in the Air. Uh, it's a play uh, for children. Uh, it would be in G, very, very simple chords, only a couple of chords, and that's what this is. Uh, there's a, a little subcurrent to it, but it's just a single along really a bit of a throwaway i love the beat part when, when lennon comes in and sings those lines you know skip the rope and 
uh, I, I just think just just his vocal delivery on those lines are just to me that makes the song. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you play this one just for fun? I have, but not for many years. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. I, I would think it would be if you could play the guitar, you could it oh, would yeah. be one you could just pick up and for slide sure. into. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was recorded on May twelfth at EMI Studios and mixed on the same day, so it was a, a one session wonder. Uh, but didn't come out until until the uh, the Yellow Submarine album. Uh, George Martin curiously was not at the session for the song, and that left recording engineer Jeff Emmerich in charge in the control room. Took less than six hours to record and was recorded in nine takes the last of which was selected for overdubs now in terms of the timeline the beatles knew by may of 1967 that they would in addition to recording music for the magical mystery tour they'd also have to record music for an animated film to be called yellow submarine so they knew this back then so baby you're a rich man was the first song they recorded specifically for Yellow Submarine. But then that got plucked as it was used on the B-side to All You Need Is Love, and it never made it into the movie. Uh, That was during an all-day session at Olympic Studios over in Barnes, and the next day they recorded all together now. So it was, was, uh, they they sort of revived it. Now, uh, talking of records coming out, uh, a new record is due out in the fall of 2023. We talked about it. uh, Under the Lampshade. So you've said that the inspiration behind this album comes from a past experience with a girl from high school. Tell me more. Well, um, and that's actually the song that I was just talking about uh, just a bit ago about, you know, taking me, you know, 30 years to write it, um, Phantom Girl. So, yeah, yeah, uh, the song, as I said, started, started writing when I was in my 20s. Who's seen the Phantom Girl? So the, the song gets finished, and um, a friend of mine, I, I recorded it, a little guitar vocal demo, and, and uh, sent it to a, a friend of mine who I've known since since before high school. I said, hey, I, I've really finally finished the song, because he, he knew of me trying to write this thing forever and ever. I said, hey, I finally finished the song. Oh, let me hear it. So I sent it to him. He said, oh, wow, that's you know, he really liked it. That's great. He said, you know what? I'm going to help you find this 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 woman who who the song was written about. Because we had lost touch many, 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 many years ago, and uh, occasionally I would think, oh, I wonder what happened to to her, and and I'd look her up on social media, I never could never find her anywhere at all. So, um, anyways, we we did finally track her down soon after the song was completed, and uh, it's, it's yeah, it's very strange. But did you send it to her? I did. I did. What I said, did she do? Uh, well, she was very, very flattered, of course. I first sent her, I f- because the band had uh, recorded a demo to send to Mo, 
And I sent that to her first. I said, oh, you know, she was very flattered. And then I sent her just a guitar and voice demo that I had recorded originally. And she seemed to like that one a lot more. I think because it's just, you know, guitar and voice, it's a lot more personal. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's ended up on the album. And the title of the album, Under the Lampshade, is from a lyric from the Phantom Girl song. And did it spill over into other tracks on the album? Like, is it a is it a concept album in that way? No, no, not at all. Um, it's really a series of of songs that uh, I've I've accumulated since the Color of Happy. Some there's actually one track that I had uh, demoed for Mo and sent it to him for the Color of Happy right towards the ending of of the recording of of that album, and uh, he passed on it. But it's ended up on this album. So. That is a great story. I, I, I'll play amateur psychologist here with with a lot of artistic people. So you had this song about this woman, girl, who you had mm-hmm. a crush on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You put it into a song. Eventually she hears the song. So is that your way of expressing your feelings? Like, would you find it easier to write her a song telling you how you felt about her rather than just picking up the phone and saying it to her? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the way I express myself, for sure, through song. Yeah, I I find it really, really difficult to express myself in real life, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the way I usually do things. That's, uh, that's... If I'm going to break up with somebody, I'll do it in the song. (laughs) Better than text. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, I find a lot of artists are like that. Um, and, and 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 here's my follow up question to that. When I've when I've, I've met artists who are like that is so. I mean, you're really you're putting yourself out there. Like that's that's this song you just told me about. Mm-hmm. That's you. Like mm-hmm. that's your feelings. That's your emotions. Why put that out there? for public consumption? That's a really good question. Um, it's just uh, inside of me. It just has to come out, you know, um, and I will suffer the consequences later, I suppose, but uh, it has to be done. That's the way I see it. This has to be done. Yeah, and and, and that, that falls in line, James, with an, I was reading an interview that you did I want to say it was with a paper in Burlington. Um, and uh, the interviewer asked you a question, something along the lines of, you know, why why are you still pursuing the dream? And I think you had a similar answer to that. Uh, yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, I think I said something. I, I, could, I can't, it has I can't to remember be, exactly what I said. But it has to be done. Has, has to be done. That's right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. has to be done. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's, there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. You know, it's who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm even more so looking forward to hearing uh, the new record. That's, that's a, that is a great story. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Oh, sure. Uh, next song we go to, maybe not quite as involved in terms of storytelling, but I think every Beatles fan, well, maybe not every Beatles fan, it's always dangerous to generalize, but like you, we were talking about this before we started recording, I think this is such a kick-ass song, Hey Bulldog. Sheepdog, standing in the rain, 
definitely. It's one of my favorite Beatles songs. I mean, it's really hard to say what your favorite Beatles song is. It's really hard to make a top 10, you know, song, uh, list of Beatles songs. But this one would most likely be in that top 10 list you know, for certain. It's just, yeah, um, great song. It's just a great, great tune. And, and again, I think this, this song is, I think, um, really only in recent years been rediscovered. Yeah. I think it was lost for so long. It was yeah. almost like a like a like a, a secret song for a bit. Like, oh, it, no one knows about this song, but I know it. I guess it's on my Beatles. Well, record. that the only place was on this yeah. album, which was their lowest selling album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but but I remember loving it. Like, oh, the, yeah. I mean, who? How can you not that Pete? Doom 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 doom, and then McCartney's yeah. bass boom boom yeah, boom. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Oh. No, it's it. It was originally considered to be a bit of a throwaway. It was thrown together. If you don't know the story, dear listener, it was uh, February 11, 1968. The Beatles had to go to Studio Three. They were going to be there all day to shoot a promotional film for Lady Madonna. And Paul McCartney said something along the lines of, hey, we're going to be there all day. Do you have anything? Bring it in and we can make use of of our studio time. Uh, McCartney goes on to say, I remember Hey Bulldog as being one of John's songs that I helped him finish in the studio, but it's mainly his vibe. Uh, There's a little rap in the end between John and I where we went into a crazy little thing. What do you say? tried to make every song different because we figured why write something like the last one we've done that with this one mm-hmm. uh, and that is uh, yeah it, so and you can see an, a neat little trivial thing is they did use the footage they shot in the studio to make a video for Lady Madonna right. But, but nothing actually, ever matched up. Nothing, yeah. you know, nothing ever matched up. Yeah. So, yeah, they're, so they're actually making Hey Bulldog. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I uh, love, and I love that promotional video. They just, they just look so cool. Oh, it's, it's uh, I'm trying to remember it. It's, it's like uh, sort of the White Album look. Lennon's yeah. got the big sideburns. Yeah, yeah. his hair is just, just growing out a little more, yeah. And the thing is, there's not a lot of studio footage of them recording stuff, so it makes it even extra special. It was used in a segment of Yellow Submarine. Uh, initially, though, it was only in some of the theatrical prints that ran in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, you know, to your point, it was kind of a lost cut. Like it didn't even show up in the the version that showed in North America mm-hmm. of Yellow mm-hmm. Submarine. Uh, showed up again when they re-released it in 1999. So that's... Uh, yeah, I remember it was like a bonus feature on the DVD release of it, I think, was, hey, hey, Bill Dog footage is back in the movie, so. Uh, song was originally called uh, Hey, Bullfrog. Huh. Was the original uh, the original name, and he actually you don't hear him say the the title of the song "Hey Bulldog" until right at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. And when they do that sort of uh, messing around thing, uh, it was what was it? Uh, McCartney was trying to make Lennon laugh by barking like a dog. 
uh, and then Lennon changed the lyrics to Hey Bulldog. Um, and again, the title phrase doesn't appear until the outro, the, the yeah. last part of the song. The outro is magical. Just, just the two of them yeah. having fun together. That's great. <laughs> it's, now that would be a... Uh, how about a uh, James Clark Institute cover version of that? Well, uh, funny you should say that. I've been thinking about that quite recently, and I think we can pull it off quite well. Um, so it just may happen. That'd be that would be a, a bonus single. Yeah, that'd be great. Throw that or, or great. Wouldn't that be a that'd be a great encore to close the night? It would. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> We're gonna do it. But you got to be there. You got to come. Oh, I'd I'd, I'd, I'd come. I was, uh, well, I know you're gonna be touring the new album. That's right. Okay. It's yeah. it's it's late for my bedtime, but I'd make an exception. We'll, we'll uh, okay. We won't end with the show. We'll end the show with it. We'll start the show with it. <laughs> Just for you. You know that is the only problem when you get older with live music. Like you guys, you guys don't go on stage till ten or eleven o'clock. I know. I know. I know. It's crazy. I mean, we love when we get a, a an early show. It's amazing. We can be out of the club by 11 o'clock. Oh, I, I, I love those. Uh, happen often enough. Love those early gigs. Hey, yeah. 7 o'clock, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else jump at you uh, about this song? The bass part? The bass part, uh, uh, George's guitar riff, which is just, you know, the, the piano riff on guitar. Just the, the whole, the fuzziness of the guitars and the bass. Um, and and um, I always thought it was was George playing that solo, but now I've, I've recently read where it could be John playing that solo. And, and I listened to it again after reading that. I thought, okay, this could be John. Sounds like, like his style, but... Um, I'm just looking to see in my notes. Um, camera crew. Uh, it just sort of said, you know, piano, drums, tambourine, bass guitar, rhythm guitar, uh, McCartney. It doesn't... Uh, where is it here? Drum, drums from Ringo. A distorted Gibson SG from George Harrison for the song's intro, mm-hmm. but doesn't mention the for, solo. for yeah. the solo. Yeah, but I read that somewhere recently. Oh, here you go. Borrowing Harrison's SG, Lennon recorded a lead guitar solo. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, yeah. so and I think, wow, I mean, that, that's some new information I received about that song. Well, that's pretty cool. Because, you know, Lennon, as you know, didn't do a whole lot of solos on Beatle albums. So. I can't think of many. Uh, I can think of a couple McCartney did. I think uh, Lennon did early on. I think he did the solo in um, You Can't Do That. Okay. And I know they, they all, all three of them trade solos on the outro of... Um, the End. The End. Yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, there might be a couple more. I just can't think at the moment. But yeah, very few. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we oh, talk- oh, on um, on uh, Get Back, of course. He's playing the lead guitar. Lennon is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got to go back and look at that. Yeah. I always thought that was. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's got that big. Um, uh, he'd uh, he'd sanded the, uh, the Epiphone. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. The big Epiphone, then he'd sanded the the varnish off yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. As as you've you've done that to any of your guitars yet? I haven't. No, no. <laughs> I, I do. I do have an Epiphone that looks like. Like his blonde, you know, sanded down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, while we go, let's go down. What's your guitar lineup? Oh, I, I don't have a you know I don't have a museum like uh, some friends of mine. I I, I use a Tele, um, American made American made Tele, which I love. Uh, feels great. I'm you know I'm not really a guitar player. I'm a songwriter, and the guitar is my tool. Mm-hmm. And so the Tele is just amazing. It's it's such a simple guitar and 
I, I think you could play almost any style of music on the telly and it will sound great. So, um, yeah, I'm just comfortable with that. Well, you're originally a drummer. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you jump behind the kid anymore? I do. In fact, um, just just uh, recently started playing uh, in a band with uh, my friend Sean Ryan, as you know, uh, photographer, videographer, shoots all my stuff for the albums and the videos. And he plays bass. He's a killer bass player. So we're, we've started up a little thing, the two of us and a friend of ours, uh, George Westerholm on guitar. And uh, it's a three-piece. Um, and it sounds great. So we're just we're going to hopefully do some gigs in the fall. Ah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's back, so much fun. Back to your roots. Yeah, so much fun. <laughs> and just to touch back, we've talked a little bit about your songwriting style, but the, the Hey Bulldog, uh, very much a, as both Lennon and McCartney said, um, you know, hey, do you have anything? Bring it into the studio and we'll see if we can knock it off. Mm-hmm. Have you had anything like that? A riff, a few words, and had the confidence to just go in and say, okay, let's figure something out. I can't say we've ever done that. Um, I think primarily because, and this is one thing I really envy about the Beatles, is that they had uh, unlimited studio time. And I don't think they were paying for it either. So uh, when we go to the studio, we're there to make a record. And we've, we have arranged everything. We've, we've planned everything we're going to do before we go to the studio. Just, you know, save time. No and money. I, yeah. So, I, no, I, 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 but I would love to be able to, the, the freedom to do that would be incredible. Yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, I kind of thought that's, that's what you might be your reaction because yeah, like to, I mean, studio time's expensive, right? And to have mm-hmm. the luxury, I, I can imagine your producer, in this case, Mo Berg, his reaction if you walked in and said, well, uh, just, <laughs> I thought we'd noodle around for eight hours and see what I come up with. Yeah, I can hear him already. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, next track on side one, It's All Too Much, George Harrison's song. To your songs on this album they're both killer uh, I love them all equally um, again um, his psychedelic era I love it um, I, I love the, the lyrics in this tune of the production of, of, of the song it's just for me it's killer what say you then to Ian McDonald Beatles writer and, and historian, uh, the late Ian McDonald, uh, he says, he describes a song as a protracted exercise in drug-memorized G-pedal monotony. <laughs> <laughs> so not good. Well, no, you're wrong. You're wrong, Mr. McDonald. 
Uh, Harrison himself uh, rued the uh, the prominence of the brass accompaniment, saying, uh, to this day, I'm still annoyed that I let them mess it up with those damn trumpets. Uh, basically, the song's quite good, but, you know, it's messed up with those trumpets. Yeah, I, I can see where he's coming from. I think it'd be a little annoying but at times, but I, I just, I can get past that. Uh, I, think, I think Ringo's playing on it is, is phenomenal. He's got some great... Great fills, Ringo fills. Very psychedelic. Very psychedelic. Yeah. Very psychedelic. Um, both of his on here are. Mm-hmm. Um, what does Harrison say? I just wanted to write a rock and roll song about the whole psychedelic thing of the time because you trip out, you see, on all this stuff, and then whoops, you just be back having your evening cup of tea. Right. Uh, your long blonde hair and your eyes of blue, that was just the uh, the big ending we had going out. Uh, as it was in those days, we had the horn players just play a bit of trumpet voluntarily, and so that's how that Prince of Denmark bit was played, and Paul and John just came up uh, with and sang the lyric of Your Eyes of Blue, is mm-hmm. his recollection. Peter Doggett, Beatles biographer, says uh, one of the pinnacles of British acid rock. Wow. Uh, and uh, Rolling Stone, a guy named Rob Sheffield, says it's among the top five all-time psychedelic freakouts in mm-hmm. rock history. Sure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's about a six, six seven-minute song or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah, the the the, uh, the original, which you know, which the I guess the one they worked with, uh, lasted uh, over eight minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, man, that's uh, that's kicking around somewhere. A uh, bit of trivia: uh, one of the trumpet players, a guy named Dave Mason, who played the piccolo trumpet solo on Penny Lane. Oh, wow! I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, so he shows up again. Great. Uh, so we go to the final cut. On side number one, before we get to the orchestral stuff, uh, and it is All You Need Is Love. Yeah, yeah. I still right. love this song. Oh, that's just very good. Thank you, John. That's fine. Hey. I think that will do for the vocal backing very nicely. We'll get the musicians in now. Thanks. And we'll do the last track. Oh, great, great. Okay. Run back the tape, please, Richard. There's several days' work on that tape. For perhaps the hundredth time, the engineer runs it back to the start for yet another stage in the making of an almost certain hit record. The supervisor is George Martin, the musical brain behind all the Beatles' records. There's the orchestra coming into the studio now, and you'll notice that the musicians are not rock and roll youngsters. The Beatles get on best with symphony men. Here, then, is final mixed track, take one, of a song which we offer to the whole world. All you need is love. All right, we're ready? Let's go for it then. Hands on musicians, please. Get them on. All right, here we go then. We'll send the tape. You ready, Richard? Okay, Jeff. All right, here we go. Okay, Richard. Here comes the tape. Watch it. Play the game. It's easy. 
when I was uh, you know, much younger, I would probably, I know I, I had said at the time that this was probably my favorite Beatles song of all time. Um, it was just, uh, you know, the sentiment. I mean, peace and love, peace and love. That's what it's all about. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, I guess it's a simple tune lyrically, but the sentiment is, sentiment is great. And it's real. And, you know, I believe that to a certain extent. All you need is love. Well, some would say uh, the, and I would be in your camp, the quintessential Beatles song, Summer of Love, beautiful, simple lyric, global number one. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it, it says the Beatles. If, mm-hmm. if, if you put that on, if you were trying to explain the Beatles to somebody, I mean, even though, yeah, lots of different styles, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't be going wrong playing that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. They were all about, they were all about love. You know, when you get down to it. And, and, uh, yeah, nothing wrong with that. No. So uh, let's take a, a bit of a pause here and uh, we will come back in the next episode and talk about the other side of the Yellow Submarine. Uh, all of George Martin's orchestrations from the animated feature film. So we'll talk about that and we'll also mix in, I think, uh, maybe some talk about uh, some of George Martin's other amazing arrangements that he did over the years with the Beatles. So that is next time. But James, thanks for this time. Always love talking about the Beatles, so thank you. See you soon. Uh, Just a reminder that uh, James has a new album coming out in the autumn of 2023 called Under the Lampshade, and it is produced uh, by a friend of this podcast and Canadian rock superstar Mo Berg of The Pursuit of Happiness. So look for that. You can find out, in fact, when that album is coming out, when you can download it or buy it. You can find out what James and his band are up to at the band website, clarkinstitute.com. That is Clark with no e c l a r k institute.com there are links there at the site to his videos some really really good videos i must tell you dear listener uh they're on youtube but there are links to them also his music is on bandcamp and on all streaming platforms you can also find james on twitter and instagram and facebook if you have enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes for that matter hey please uh, consider making a donation to support the ongoing production of this podcast and i might add keeping it commercial free Uh, Any little bit helps out, goes towards offsetting some of my hard costs, which are mainly... Uh, the website as well as a host where all the podcasts can live so you can access them wherever it is that you like to access them. Uh, In any event, you can offer your support if you visit the website and click on the support the walrus button. If you can afford it and if you enjoy the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you would support the podcast. Shout out, by the way, to Michael Werner for his recent donation. He also uh, sent along a nice note with his donation. He says, uh, in part, keep up the great work. Your guests are so knowledgeable. They are indeed. Uh, And it is uh, a really cool show. The Beatles are my backbone. Well, Michael, uh, listeners like you who uh, throw us a few bucks now and again are my backbone. So thank you very much. Much appreciated. You can follow this podcast on the usual socials, Twitter. I'm still calling it Twitter. I think it's it's X now or whatever the hell Elon Musk has decided. 
It's Twitter to me. Uh, so I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Uh, and I can be found at the same handle on both, Romanuk Paul. On Facebook, you can do a search for the Walrus Was Paul podcast page. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can go old school and fire me an email. It comes right to me, and I answer most of them. It is Romicast. So the.romicast at gmail.com. The dot romicast at gmail.com positive reviews and shares on your social channels also really help out can't stress that enough if you're on tiktok uh, if you're on facebook whatever social channel you're on just a link to the show and a mention that does so so much doesn't cost you a dime uh, and it really does help get the word out there so more people will listen And that's why I do this, so people will listen. Uh, Time for a quick mention of what have I been listening to lately. Uh, It is a summer to rejoice if you're a fan of Britpop. I am. I'm a huge fan of Britpop. I've talked before about Noel Gallagher's new release, Council Skies. Uh, I'm telling you, it has barely left my turntable since I got it. It is an absolutely fantastic album. For me, uh, he's done some really good solo work since Oasis broke up, but this is the best stuff that he has done since he was with Oasis. It's really, really good. Council Skies by Noel Gallagher and an absolutely fantastic album as well. Blur's brand new release, The Ballad of Darren. Uh, The first single off the album, The Narcissist, is an absolute standout track, but the whole album is really, really good. So a couple of uh, big bands from the Britpop era, uh, Noel Gallagher, uh, as well as Blur. That's what I've been listening to a lot lately. Some guests we have in the pipeline, if you were wondering, for upcoming episodes, singer and songwriter Raquel Cole and Jim Cuddy and Colin Cripps of Blue Rodeo. Going to do a really fun couple of episodes with them that I will tell you about in the coming weeks. But that is it for now. I'm Paul Romanuk, and I will talk to you next time. So long. Do you ever get tired of being...